Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. It's your host, Mike. I'm here with Raul and George. Hola. Hello. Hey, this podcast is brought to you by Killcliff, killcliff.com. Hey, we've been testing and drinking energy drinks um, since the beginning of energy drinks. I think that started off downrange with the old, uh, what was it, the Rippets? Yeah. <laughs> we started out with the Rippets. <laughs> mm. uh, but uh, we've evolved since then, and we focused on you know being healthy, being optimized for performance and survival. And uh, we trust Killcliff because it's an all-natural energy drink that actually has uh, the vitamins, the minerals, all the good stuff, and, and none of the bad. Also, it's started by Navy SEAL, and they support the Navy SEAL Foundation. Part of the proceeds go to the Navy SEAL Foundation, which help veteran active duty and the families of the Navy SEAL community, which is a big deal for us supporting and advocating for veterans. Also, know that they have three different versions, which is the you know, Ignite to kick off a workout, the uh, Endure, which is to sustain and the Recover uh, post-op or post-workout. And, you know, we're big on it because uh, not only is it a good energy drink, but also they support uh, veterans and the veteran community. Also, you could check them out on Instagram at Killcliff, killthequit.com or killcliff.com, and make sure you use Survival15 to save 15% on checkout if you decide to order online. So uh, big shout out to Killcliff. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, me and Evan, the owner of Phil, or the owner of Black Rifle Com- Coffee Company, BRCC, go way back. Um, I remember he was a connoisseur before starting the company of coffee, and uh, you know, great company that obviously does a lot of stuff for veterans. They just supported the best ranger competition uh, recently. They post on history. They do a whole bunch of cool stuff, and the coffee is great. If you go to Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, company.com, you could save 20% using Philcraft20. That's Philcraft20 on blackriflecoffee.com. Swag, coffee, everything you need. They even have the ghee, MCT, and coffee blend that I use whenever I'm on the keto diet. Um, also, this podcast is brought to you by triarchsystems.com. Triarch is T R I A R C systems.com. Um, some good dudes out of Texas who are making custom pistols, carbines, and rifles. Look, I've been running their 17 Charlie. Um, Raul has used their the Glock 19, and then uh, I carry their Glock 43. These are all custom guns. They look really cool, um, but they work even better. They have the utility, form, and function, and it's everything that you need in a reliable, everyday carry uh, weapon system. So make sure you use Philcraft on checkout. Philcraft, one word on checkout uh, to save. Also, uh, we're going to give a shout out to Uncana. We all use CBD in some form or fashion, whether it's the, uh, the oral form, the salve, which is the topical ointment or the oil. It helps you sleep, helps with anxiety, helps with aches and pains. And um, we're in here in the dojo beating each other uh, up constantly. And uh, we, we use it all the time. In fact, uh, right now, um, the vapor, uh, we, that's what we call him, George, the vapor <laughs> bell. George, the vapor bell is uh, hitting that vape cartridge, and I'm probably going to hit that in a little bit. But no THC. CBD is uh, a natural solution for all the things that we talked about. It's a natural remedy, and I'm a big fan, and uh, so are the guys. So make sure you check out Uncana.com. Hey, I uh, wanted to also give a, uh, uh, a little bit about the upcoming courses we have. Laramie, Wyoming, we have this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. By the time you hear this, you'll have one day. We have a couple slots on Saturday. Gunfighter Pistol, Gunfighter Carbine. Um, also, uh, Raul, what's what's the uh, next uh, Chino Valley course that you're going to? The one in Chino is June 9th. I believe it's a carbine one, right? Yes, yep. it is. So we'll be doing that. And then uh, 15th, 16th in Clovis, New Mexico. And then just random stuff going on around here. And then Ooh, talk about the, uh, the Tribe Expo. Oh. oh, yeah, we have the Tribe Expo coming up. It's uh, June 7th through the 9th. Uh, first day where we're going to be doing a, a basically a survival seminar with Mike. And then also going over the way ahead for the company and some updates. Um, and in the afternoon, we're going to have combatives with Darren. Did you say combatives? Com- combatives. Okay. Combatives. Okay. Okay. <laughs> with Darren and, and Raul. That'll be the second half of the day. And then um, on the next day on Saturday, it's going to be like a, like a round robin. So one half of the tribe will be out Chino Valley for the flat range with um, Gunfu Fighter Mason and Mike Hernandez. And then the other half will be back here where we're doing uh, T-Triple-C, first day, stop the bleed, tourniquet training. 
And then in the afternoon, just flip-flop that. And then that's the all day for Saturday. And then uh, Sunday morning, we're having a charity breakfast. What's a charity what we're doing? Uh, we're looking at two of them, but we're going to split the difference between uh, Warrior Heart Foundation and then um, Laps for Liberty. Nice. And then we'll have, we're going to have a raffle. So, you know, you buy a ticket for the breakfast, you get a raffle ticket. A raffle ticket and then you can buy additional raffle tickets to win some prizes what is the tribe george uh the tribe how do i get into the tribe oh, Expo? to get into the tribe expo you have to be a member of the tribe either a monthly or yearly member and you can find that at uh fieldcraftsrevival.com under the tribe tab um so we have a yearly and mo- monthly membership and then once you sign up i'll get you all set up on our facebook instagram and then put you on our, into our database and then you'll have information you'll have all the uh resources to get onto our YouTube page, uh, like I said, Facebook, Instagram, and then just basically come together and network with the tribe and then share ideas. And what we do is um, anything new we have, we share it with the tribe first. We have little raffles, we have giveaways, uh, training videos, we do webinars. So it's a lot of information you get and you get some pretty good discounts on our store. So yeah, so sign up for the tribe if you're interested. And if you are interested and you have some questions, just DM me or send us a uh, email at uh, info at com. Thank you, George. Thank you. Hey, we're shooting the shit today. We got a lot to talk about, but one of the things that we wanted to highlight was the border situation. Uh, Raul, I know you got some border. Well, one, you're Mexican, so you obviously have some experience and understanding of the cartel and how deadly those dudes are. We, he out, Raul also was facilitating a relationship with Ed's Manifesto. Ed Manifesto that was on uh, recently on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about the cartel um, and and how uh, divisive that is between America and Mexico and all the issues it was it was causing. Yeah, it was uh, just quick conversations with uh, Ed Calderon from Ed's Manifesto and just trying to get him up here so we can you know start collaborating and working with other instructors uh, specifically with. Um, his knowledge on the border and what's going on on both sides, both the U.S. and and the Mexico side, and just kind of trying to pick his brain and see what he's been seeing down there and what he's been picking up from both the Mexican side, which, uh, you know, they're having issues there as well. They're, they're dealing with other immigrants from other countries that don't, they don't have the customs and courtesies that the Mexican people have. Um, so they're struggling with, with the border issue as well as we are with the influx of immigrants. So, uh, it'll be a good understanding for us to just kind of pick his brain on current events and see where that goes. Yeah, I know uh, he was just talking recently um, on that podcast, and he talked about um, uh, what's the city that's uh, below San Diego? Tijuana. Tijuana. I always forget that. Anyways, Tijuana used to be the number one murder capital in the world, and then for a while it was off the list, but now it's back on. It's the number one murder capital in the world. I think they're averaging like six murders a day. Um, and you know that's right across the border. If you don't know where Tijuana is, it's south of San Diego. It's right on the border, and it used to be a vacation destination, and now it's a murder capital again. But uh, when we talk about those, uh, that kind of you know criminal activity and violence across our our border, a lot of people think, hey, it's a it's a Mexico problem. But indeed, um, it is an American problem as well because the cartels here. The drugs, the human trafficking have all negative impacts on our economy, our, our you know, civil society, et cetera. The list goes on. There's a whole bunch of issues that are second and third order effects. George, I know you um, spent some time in Ukraine, which you know is kind of analogous to the situation where you have Russia and an incursion, but you have uh, second and third order effects affecting across the border uh, where they're trying to stabilize the region. But uh, for you... Um, with your experiences in special operations, because I know that was your most recent deployment. Um, where do you see the correlation there? Uh, just like the instability on the border. Like they couldn't control like who came across, what came over, because you had a lot of areas where they, uh, you know, the Russians said that they were having some training. They were doing a training exercise. And then you had all the uh, Russian-backed separatists over there in the east that were, you know, going against the uh, – Ukrainian government and at the same time the Ukrainian government was in you know disarray because they just had the election so you had all this instability all this like unknown or are they gonna you know are they gonna march towards the capital or you know it was like one of that's like the worst case scenario but you could see it when those Russian soldiers were uh, posting on Facebook and they got geolocated on their Facebook and you know it 
blatantly shows them operating in uh, in, in Eastern Ukraine. So it just shows you, you know, you know, you're not, you're not going to stop the problem by them coming over the border. Uh, I think even if the wall is built, um, you're still going to have that, you know, it's going to be, it's just going to be a different way of getting it over. I mean, that's how I look at it. And, uh, while I was in Kiev, it just really wasn't, there wasn't a threat cause people didn't think about it cause it was like out of, out of sight, out of mind. You just saw it on the news for a couple of minutes and it was it, you know, it was like no, just another news story. And I think, um, and here in America, you know, you just see snippets of on, on news stories. You're not really there on the ground seeing it. So it's just like, Oh, it's not an issue because you're not there. It's an issue to the people that are on the ground, not to people who are watching and in New York city or in Nebraska or something like that. So, yeah, I know if you're, if you're in Pinal County, uh, on the border of, uh, Mexico, if you're in Laredo, Texas, if you're in these regions that are really the, you know, the, the towns and counties right outside the border, then you know exactly what's going on because it's affecting your community. I know Phoenix, I mentioned this on social media once that Phoenix was the, uh, one of the top kidnapping capitals. And there was this big stink of like people, uh, bitching and complaining going, that's you're skewing the media and everything else. It's like, I don't care. I don't care if it was skewed. If it was a skewed statistic, if there are people getting kidnapped in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's related to the cartel or related to the situation in Mexico, that's one too many. I mean, if you have children being smuggled over, I mean, this Ed, Ed's manifesto, I, I look at him as being the expert in, in this border situation because uh, of his ties to being a police officer in Mexico, training police officers all over the all over the country and both sides. Um, he has a better understanding. If he's saying that you know, there's there's cartel members kidnapping Americans and smuggling them back into Mexico. That's a problem. And so, if there's a problem, um, then we need to talk about it. And then, especially when it comes to national security. Uh, interesting enough, and I, I'm gonna as I go through this, I'm gonna ask you guys for feedback. So we talk to border patrol agents all the time. I mean, we we train border patrol. Uh, we've done classes with them. We've done uh, classes for individuals. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, the the tribe in our little inner circle. And I had a Border Patrol agent, and I said, hey, listen, I want to get your perspective. And I want to get the ground truth of your perspective from an operator who's on the ground dealing with this shit every single day. And he asked me the best way to do it. And I said, hey, listen, man, write a letter, an anonymous letter, write an email, send it to me, and then we'll, we'll communicate it in, in your words and your tone and the way that you want it. And so I'm going to go through this letter and talk about it and then uh, stop when, uh, when appropriate just to get you guys' feedback because uh, th- for me, this is a big deal. I mean, this is some media stuff, but this is like first hound or firsthand um, accounts from the guys on the ground, which is, is always um, the right way to do it. It says, I'm a Border Patrol agent and an Army veteran of a little more than 19 years. I can no longer stand idly buy and watch our government, the mainstream medium, and the nation be misled and deceived when it comes to the border. We need a wall. However, that is only one of the many steps that are necessary to secure our border. Allow me to begin by recounting one of my personal experiences on the border on one evening just before the height of the massive influx of illegal aliens who crossed the borders in the summer of 14. If, if you guys know about uh, the summer of 14 is when that, you know, we had these caravans um, of groups it start, kind of started with these these large mass groups. Um, uh, he said he, he had a mass influx of illegal aliens who crossed the border in the summer of 14. I was partnered with a very seasoned agent as we were loading our equipment to our signed vehicle. The first question he asked me, do you have camouflage? This caught me by surprise because agents are not given camouflage. Our Border Patrol and DHS badges as well as our name tape had to be visible, hence the bright colors. I told him no, so he gave me an old Army BDU top and told me, to put it on as a shemag to cover my neck and face. He also gave me a simple order. Under no circumstances was I used to use my radio as a means of communication that night. All commo would be via cell phone. And I said, what? And, the, and he said, man, uh, was he confused? He stated that there were dirty agents working for the cartel who would blow our operation if we used the radio. Um, so we, and I'm not, he doesn't, uh, delineate between American and the Mexican side, but that's generally known that, uh, we, we, talked to uh, the Arizona border recon guys that said the same thing. Uh, so we packed up our gear and drove to an area a few miles from the hasty observation post we were at. Uh, begin, um, and we were going to establish a parked 
we were going to establish an OP and park our vehicles. He contacted an agent to pick us up, and once he arrived, we jumped in the back of his vehicle while the vehicle was still moving and laid down not to be seen. Uh, he asked, why are we doing this? He firmly stated, we are hiding from the cartel scouts. Almost all the citizens along the border are paid off. The scouts are everywhere. We cannot trust anyone. Huh. Damn. That's interesting because when we were in on the border, th- remember we had we saw the signs from the people that were on the border yep. that were like really, I mean, they were they were overtly articulating their support for immigration and feeding and uh, providing uh, water resupply for the the uh, people that were crossing because they were good guys. They weren't bad guys, which we had quickly identified in about 10 minutes that there were bad guys crossing. Anyways, uh, while the vehicle was in a slow roll, we dropped off a good distance from the LPOP, which is the observation post, and a rancher's field from the point from this point on, we were going to t- walk it by foot. We made it about half a mile when all of a sudden an AK-47 fired off some rounds. We ran for cover, believing that the shots were directed at us. A few minutes later, we got back up to continue our mission when the AK went off again. This time, we stayed down for a longer period. However, we never caught it up on the radio. He only notified the agent who dropped, dropped this off via text. After what seemed like hours, we moved out and finally made it to our destination. We were in our hasty observation post for a few hours when we finally saw trucks on the Mexican side of the river making their way to the border. Over 20 drug mules and smugglers jumped out of the vehicle and grabbed large bundles of dope. They made a mad dash to the river and crossed it on large inflatable rafts. Once they reached the U.S. side of the border, the smugglers loaded the bundles onto a long bed truck that was blacked out along the river road. Just as the truck started heading north, my partner made a phone call to the agent that dropped us off telling him to hit it, hit it. The agent responded, and within seconds, the driver of the dope load immediately stopped his vehicle. He had been tipped off that an agent was on his way. Scouts are everywhere. The load driver jumped out of his vehicle and ran south towards Mexico. He then jumped in the river and swam back to the other smugglers, leaving the vehicle and dope behind. We were successful. We seized seized over 1,300 pounds of dope. When we returned to our station, we found out that the sound of the AK-47s were from the cartel who had raided a home which just happened to be in the same general area. No police responded to the incident because it was dead of night, so they waited until sunrise to investigate the shooting. Seriously, I felt like I was back in Iraq. This is happening on our own soil, which leads me to to the question, why? Why is this happening on our side of the border? Why are fellow agents working for the cartel? Why are the citizens of the United States choosing to side with narco-terrorists? Why isn't this information being released to the public? Why would our citizens choose corruption, fear, violence, enslavement, tyranny, and terrorism over life, liberty, and America? This operation led me to a path to discover answers to these and many more questions about the situation along the border, like why it's not secure and who is tr- truly benefiting from our border being so porous. And it, and it goes on. But I want to get you guys' um, um, take on this. You know, it, it, I, nothing is, about this is surprising to me. I mean, that's just, you know, typical stuff that uh, that I would think would be happening, but only certain outlets in the media would report. I mean, it's not like we were talking about it this morning, but we were talking about the the busloads of people that were getting shipped in as part of a international media campaign um, to bring attention to their cause. And you know, the motivations behind that are are many. Um, but are you, Raul? Are you surprised at all by any of this so mm. far? No. I mean, what he's saying is, is generally what everybody knows but is afraid to say or uh, doesn't want to agree with openly. Uh, it's Unfortunately, it's sometimes safer for guys to just work um, for the bad dudes than it is to, to, to deny them passage. So uh, I don't want to say that federal jobs and even law enforcement jobs don't pay well, but they don't pay enough to lay down your life for um, a conversation, right? Because they don't just come up to you and shoot you. It's a conversation that, that's had with these guys, and it's agents on both sides, that at some point we're good, and then they realize that no matter how good they are, uh, the agency that they work for will dump them in a heartbeat and replace them with a new body. So keeping your job and then not getting smoked is is a big deal, I think, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So It's faced with a lot of uh, law enforcement institutions have, are faced with that, right? Yeah. So somebody approaches you and they're like, well, check it out, man. This is the deal. And it's, it's legit. They will give you an option to work or get blasted. 
And it's not like, hey, we're going to smoke you. It's like, hey, you're never going to see your kids or you're never going to see your wife. And they go first, right? Because they've already scouted you. They know everything about you. Uh, they know where you live, where your mom lives. They know your family in Mexico, if you have family in Mexico, because a lot of border dudes are, are Mexican. So it's it, it, it's a trade-off. It's either do, do you just look the other way? And that's kind of the option that they get, right? They don't get a, hey, you have to come open the gate, or hey, you have to drive over our guys, or hey, you have to actively participate. It's more of the, um, through osmosis, you just kind of hang out and let things happen. So you're, you're helping, but not directly. So it's an indirect aid. Um, and I think dudes prefer to be alive and go home than to get smoked over assisting indirectly. You know, that's a good point. I never thought about that because a lot of the border agents who are, I mean, they're first generation or second generation Mexicans and their family lives right across the borders. And Ed was saying the same thing on the podcast with Joe Rogan that, you know, if, if these guys, um, decided to uh, go hardcore or stand up against the the system um, of corruption they'd be killed and then their family would be killed and so it's like you have no no option here yeah and the, I mean whatever your agency is they're not gonna put agents at your house and watch your kids and take them to school like that's that's short-lived if if you choose um, the other route and nobody's saying that it's good or bad to, to do that you know it sucks it's a shit position to put dudes in. Uh, but some dudes just choose choose to be alive versus, you know, putting themselves or family in danger. And it, it may sound like I'm, I'm sympathetic to the to the to assisting um, over dying. And it's like until you've been given that choice, man, you kind of don't have a, a, uh, a say in that, you know, like how often are you confronted with, hey, you're going to just look the other way or you're going to get smoked, you know, and then uh, so here you paint this picture, right? Some dude comes up to you and he's like. All right, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't just look the other way tonight. We're going to cross so and so, and you you can't just smoke that dude or arrest him. You know he's technically hasn't done anything illegal. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and probably I, if you do that, there's another guy that has the same information. Yeah, it's just not he's not the stop. only one with the information. Yeah. He's just the dude delivering the message, right? It's yep. like the old kings. You had your messenger, and then you had the dudes doing the work. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's tough, man. It's it's a hard situation to be in, and then that's just not a good place to be working. But Dude's got to do it. Let, let me let me say that. Let me uh, 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 tell you what he said about violence in the media, and then uh, George, I want to get your opinion on something because we had talked about it before. He said that you know that violence data recently released from the National System for Public Security shows the homicide rate south of the border has continued to soar throughout the first three months of nineteen. Some eight thousand four hundred ninety-three people were documented to have been murdered between January first and March thirty-first signaling a 9.6% jump from 2018, which was the highest recorded year in history of tracking the statistic. So in 2019, we have exceeded the highest record year of homicides south of the border in Mexico with 8,493 people killed from January 1 to March 31. Media-wise, Mexico is described as the deadliest country for reporters outside the war zone since 2000, at least 140 144 journalists have been murdered, according to Mexico's National Human Rights Commission. Only Afghanistan and Syria have seen more reporters killed. The Washington Post wrote an article highlighting the problems of Mexico in regards to the media called Censor or Die, the death of Mexican news in the age of drug cartels. Politically, Mexico is a narco state, obviously, which has a recent news. Uh, in recent news, with the testimony of El Chapo, paid former Mexican president a $100 million bribe. El Calderon, or Ed Manifesto, described the situation in Mexico on the Skillset Live podcast, number 61. He declared that uh, it, uh, Tamaulipas, I don't know, sorry, I'm, I'm hacking that. Ta- Tamaulipas. Tamaulipas, as the worst state in Mexico, as of April 9th, 2019, the State Department confirmed, confirmed his warning by ranking it at level four, the same as Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, and Syria. Look, this place is a war zone. And... So many people are divided uh, among the, amongst this issue and are like, it's a Mexican problem or the problem isn't that bad. There's a whole bunch of media outlets go, yeah, the problem's not that bad. Well, if you're, if you're on the border of Syria and Syria is falling apart with humanitarian issues, with, count, with terrorism, with crime, then it's an issue. We are literally sitting on the border with Syria, with Libya with Iraq and Afghanistan, with Mexico south of the border. 
and the and and more so because there's not a lot of control of the immigration when it comes to illegal immigration across the borders. Even legal migration across the borders uh, isn't necessarily controlled. In fact, there's uh, statistics out there that say, uh, obviously, the majority of the drugs that are coming across are coming across through legal checkpoints, um, but also human trafficking, and the list goes on. So it's something that we have to address. And George, we, we talked about it before. Um, do you think President Trump should have the gloves come off and should um, uh, consider the cartel as a, uh, a sponsored terrorist organization? Um, and, and, and doing such, obviously, from our backgrounds, means that they're going to be able to target these bad guys uh, across these borders. Uh, can you imagine AC-130 Spectre gunships dropping munitions on cartel safe houses? Look, we, know, we have it mapped. There's no way in hell we don't have all these targets already predetermined. There's no way we don't know where the biggest cartels are at, located, and we don't know what's going on. But nobody is fucking doing anything about it. Nobody. It's gotten worse. Yeah. I, I look at it like, you know, if, if he did that, gloves came off, and something went down across the border. I mean, don't you think that every major city has like a, like a cartel sleeper cell and that they would just, just start fucking shit up, you know, like executing judges and government officials, things like that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they probably have a plan in place to the counteract, you know, that, that whole thing. I think, you know, it, it's very risky because do we want to have that so close to our homes instead of having like, you know, cause if you look at our United States, we're, we have those natural borders, which are, you know, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific, the Pacific Ocean. So we could, you know, we're, we're displaced. We're displaced. Yeah. But, you know, if we start shit in Mexico, it's like right there. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know. It I could just, be a crisis, right? Yeah. I just think, you know, by saying that, uh, I just think we need to worry about like what politicians are in there in the back pocket of the, of the uh, cartels and within every major region in the, in the United States. So, I mean, it's just one thing we got to look at for you know, policymakers, lawmakers, judges, lawyers, police, you know, everybody there, someone's getting paid off. So it was just one thing that to take, take a con- in consideration, I guess. So you guys remember the, the, the war on terror, right? Or the war on drugs. And yeah. then now the war on terror, when you declare war on ideas, right? Shit gets tricky. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it needs to be approached a little more intelligently as to like, you know, what are the root causes for migration? What are the root causes for drug abuse? What are the root causes for violence via the transmission of these these items that people desire? So if, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, where we're like, if you educate the masses in that area, then you can start reform and change, right? So I think looking at, at, at those um, issues first, I think will help uh, solidify how to solve this problem versus, oh, let's just build walls and let's just go chase bad dudes, you know? Because then there's just going to yeah. be another dude that wants to collect that check. Exactly. And, and there's people in line. If I had nothing to do and I couldn't support my family, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start and I'm going to start doing some illegal shit and and support my family. So yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the like you know, mixed, there's not a lot of commerce down there, you know, tourism and you know, and great food, but what do they have down there that they can start where you don't have to rely on the drug trade and all that stuff. So see, I, I, I agree with you guys, but I also think that killing or capturing the cartel is part of that strategy. I think, I think there, ha- it's almost like McChrystal's plan uh, with task force where you, you go out, you kill or capture bad guys, but he also had a comprehensive plan to empower the sons of Iraq, you know, the Sunni population, because uh, those guys. the you know there was a huge issue between the Shias and the Sunnis, and so um, he was kind of trying to do a strategic plan. But one part of the mission was you have to stomp out the trash and, and the uh, um, the guys who were doing the most damage. Which you know, obviously, these guys are recruiting the youth; they're recruiting um, the poorest regions in the country. Um, he says, this border agent says the city of Brownsville is the second poorest and uh, McAllen comes in a third poorest city in the nation. So the perception in the minds of those in the South Texas is that the cartel offers when no one else can or is willing to. The cartel uses misinformation and propaganda within these border communities to widen the already great divide, claiming the government is um, 
uh, xenophobic, racist, anti-immigrant has purposely left them behind. And then, you know, the cartels like Al-Qaeda or like the Taliban swoop in like Robin Hood and give these uh, youth misguided purpose, um, uh, direction, money, and perceived power. So they're just empowering these these uh, poor kids. Um, one of the things that he mentions, and I'll, I'll talk about a little bit, is the corruption. In 2015, NPR did a one-week special of public corruption in South Texas. And the special, it mentions that in 2013, more public officials were convicted of federal crimes. I actually know a guy who was a 19 Special Forces group, who was a buddy of mine, who was involved in taking all these dudes down. Damn. Yeah, he was involved in uh, the the underground where, it, it, this is crazy, but in 2013, more public officials were convicted of federal crimes in South Texas, 83 of to- total than any other region in the country. In the past two decades, no fewer than five sheriffs, sheriffs have been busted for corruption. And from 2000 to 2013, 13 U.S. Custom and Border Protection agents went to prison. That's insane. That is. Um, Federal authorities say the Rio Grande Valley is steeped in corruption uh, of every stripe. Drug smuggling, vote stealing, courthouse bribery, under-the-table payoffs, health care fraud. In 2014, the FBI launched the Rio Grande Valley Public Corruption Task Force to clean up South South Texas. To give you recent examples, April 23rd, this is really recent, of 2019, the mayor of Edinburgh, Texas, was arrested along with 16 others. Uh, Richard Molina, the mayor, and his wife, Dahlia, and others were arrested on charges of voter fraud and are accused of fraudulently registering to vote or encouraging others to register under using false addresses in order to vote for Molina in the November 2017 uh, mayor electoral uh, or elections. On Friday, March 8th, a former U.S. Border Patrol agent was sentenced to 112 months in prison, followed by three years of supervised release for accepting bribes and return for helping to smuggle illegal drugs into the United States. Um, according to the plea documents, between 04 and 14, in a 10-year period, Hall, working with others, including Daniel Hernandez, 46, of Roseville, California, facilitated the trafficking of illegal drugs, marijuana um, specifically, in the United States from Mexico on behalf of a drug trafficking orga- organization. In exchange for cash payments, he provided an individual... Uh, in the DTO was CBP, uh, 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 California Border Patrol Central Locations, the locations of unpatrolled roads at or near the U.S.-Mexican border, and the number of BPAs working in a certain area. Dude, that's that's literally uh, um, uh, providing information to the enemy. That's aiding and abetting the enemy, right? I mean, he's providing this not to he's not providing this to Mexican immigrants who are trying to have a better life. He's providing this to the cartel, a, which this is my problem with this, right? If, if, if these people are doing this, it's because there's not enough incentives for them not to do it. They're, they're not worried about it. But if this was terrorism-related, right, if they were providing uh, information to terrorist organizations, these dudes would, would be uh, potentially convicted and sentenced to death for aiding and abetting terrorism. Because how many people died uh, when these people were smuggling drugs or smuggling human beings across the border. Um, one thing he says is perception. Uh, on Saturday, May 4th, the Rio Grande uh, City Border Patrol Station caught 1,117 illegals. And then on Sunday morning, they caught an additional 304. The station's AOR, Area of Responsibility, covers 68 miles of the international border in Star County, Texas. This set a record for the station. This is recently, May 4th of this year, Damn. last month, or earlier this month. The mainstream media and the political left are using this situation on the border as a political charge information warfare campaign against President Trump. And those who support border security and the wall, I'm reading this obviously, the, the left is using the latest in neuromarketing science to persuade and emotionally sell their open borders agenda. They're posting pictures of children in cages, sharing war-torn stories of heartache for families amongst the migrant caravans, and showing live videos of families being separated, often without the real reason as to why uh, the father is a felon or a vast criminal record from their home country. Or, in addition to that, I know this uh, for a fact because we did some research on it, they're smuggling children or using children to smuggle themselves. Uh, They actually have on-the-spot DNA test, um, which, which is, I know this because it started in special operations, to assess whether these were actually... The parents of these children, 
25% of these uh, people are not their actual parents. It's like 24%. 24% of them are actually not the actual fathers. And they're using these kids to smuggle them across the border. Like, what's the consequence for that? Hey, I'm just going to take you and move you back across the border where you belong. Um, those on the left, again, I'm reading again. Those on the left are using half-truths and misinformation to claim everyone's coming through the border are refugees leaving their war-torn countries, looking for work along the American dr- uh, along and the American dream. That our border is only a humanitarian humanitarian issue. They are dominating the mainstream. Uh, so then. Uh, is it any wonder why when the left is presented with facts and evidence about the illegal immigration and how it affects our nation, they simply refute it as a conspiracy theory, fake news, or xenophobia? Uh, in January, Nancy Pelosi and former Homeland Security uh, uh, Kirsten Nielsen got into a tense conversation with a uh, Californian Democrat interrupting Nielsen's presentation on border security and illegal immigration, telling her, I reject your facts. The clash between the top House Democrat and a key member of President Trump's cab- cabinet occurred during a Wednesday morning meeting in the White House amid the impasse uh, over the government shutdown. The Trump standing firm and demanding $5 billion for the border wall. Um, she said, I reject your facts. These aren't my facts, Nielsen shot back. These are the facts. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Um, the left is winning the narrative. Uh, yeah, what's your, what's your thoughts, George? Uh, you... Uh, it's just like an excuse so they can cry and get their way. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't accept your facts. Well, it, because it's, you have, they have an agenda, right? Yeah, I exactly. Mean, it doesn't fall into their, their, their little agenda. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them. It's not truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, a small digression, but when you make millions of dollars in profit as a politician, I couldn't even work a part-time bouncing job as a special operations guy to make more, a little, ins, a little bit more, just a little walking around money, a walking around money. So I didn't have to live check to check in the military and they wouldn't allow me to do that. But you can make millions of dollars as a, uh, a politician, unfortunate. Um, uh, who or what is coming through our border? Uh, so he, he, he talks about facts. Um, so now the cartel knows how to, gain, how to gain the system and profit from it. If an illegal wants to come into the U.S. and stay, they listen, read the cartel ads in your home country, have someone in the U.S. pay the cartel fee or owe them, rent a child from the cartel, pay for fake documents and memorize the info, cross the border in a large group, get processed and give an eventual court date, get released from custody, drop off kid back to the cartel in the U.S. and, and go where you want. That's like a 10-step process on, on how to be... I probably shouldn't have read that. <laughs> um, uh, the United States is one of the highest consumers of child sex in the world. It's also one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Simple economics tell us what follows. Child traffickers who currently control millions of enslaved children working worldwide. Want to get these children into the United States where they can force them into lucrative uh, illicit markets? The State, Dep- the State Department, this is from the State Department, reports that around 10,000 children are smuggled in the U.S. annually and forced into commercial sex trade. Damn. But but that's not an issue here, though. No one cares about that. Yeah. That's yeah, not no. on the news. It's, you know, let's yeah. not, oh, child molestation? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, se- you know, sex traffic or human sex, tra- human trafficking and sex trafficking alone has been this Big, huge issue. Yep. But uh, what I was surprised by in talking about the border is nobody uh, comprehends that it could be one and the same. Yeah. When when you're getting statistics like that and people are saying there are children being illegally smuggled across the border by people who aren't their fathers and brought into sex trades um, as sex slaves then nobody reports on that. Because it's not popular. It's not like, what's well, not part of the agenda. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. we'll sweep it under the rug and we'll, we'll deal with it later. Um, he, he actually talks about Liliana, uh, a survivor, uh, was kidnapped at the age of 11 from her village in Central America. After two years of grooming uh, her for commercial sex, she was taken by her captors across the southern border at a location where no wall existed. Approximately 70% of the border wall is wallless. Her traffickers easily transported her to New York City, where she was raped for money up to 30 to 40 times a day for five years. She eventually escaped, and my foundation is now caring for her as she prepares to testify in federal court against her captors. In accordance with the U.S. laws as a survivor of sex trafficking in America, Liliana has been granted legal status and will soon be a U.S. citizen. Having reflected on a tragic plight, Liliana has recently weighed in on the current national debate uh, had there been a wall for me, she declared, my captors would have been forced to take me to a port of entry. 
A U.S. officer might have seen my distress. I might have yelled out to them. I am currently working with Homeland Security agents on my case. I love them. I think they would have rescued me at the port of entry. And that's coming from uh, uh, the story of one survivor. It's actually a story that was written by a journalist on Liliana. Uh, the information warfare campaign that left uh, that the left has been waging has incentivized the Mexican cartels to operate with impunity and take complete control of both sides. Um, Recently, the state of Ohio asked the feds to designate Mexican cartels as a foreign terrorist organization. After a large Sinaloa, Sinaloa drug bust, Ohio is currently ranked number two in the nation for narcotic seizures. And Ohio? You're from, yeah. You're, you're, oh, wow. You know, I mean, my, my stepdad's from Ohio, and he, he knows about, he, he's told me about all the drug, especially uh, fentanyl. Oh, um, yeah, that's narcotics. big. Yeah. Heroin, huge. Um, it says the, re- the resolution states that the transitional criminal organization uh, based in Mexico uh, are responsible for the flow of opioids across the border in the U.S. and Ohio, and that they are also responsible for proliferation of human tra- trafficking in the United States, particularly Ohio, as part of parcel of drug trafficking operations. The document points out that drug cartels conduct operations on U.S. soil and furtherance of drug and human trafficking and that the abuse of opioids and human trafficking are direct threats to economy, well-being, and overall vitality of the state of Ohio uh, and its citizens. The acting administrator, administrator of the United States DEA, um, O. Tom Dillon, recently declared Mexico drug trafficking organizations are the biggest criminal threat the United States faces today. So what do we do? Um, here's his solutions, but before we go into his solutions... Roll. What the hell do we do, man? It seems. I mean, is there three steps? Is there ten steps? What What are some things that we could do? There's, man. This is a, a huge, a huge topic to deal with. I think there's way more than a few steps involved. Uh, there's got to be some partnerships with with groups, um, and then people willing to accept the reality of the the, the situation. Because it sounds like. And we've seen it. People are always like, well, you know, it's not directly affecting me. So it's not something that, that, that needs to be handled right now, you know, or maybe they get fired up in a little conversation here or there, but it's never just, you know, like, let's do something about this. It's just ideas. And it's, it's one of those things where like, man, there's, (laughs) there's, you know, how we have those UN meetings and everyone's like talking that's involved and they all want to solve this problem. It's, It's something like that. It needs to be bigger than a conversation it needs to be bigger than a couple of articles in the newspaper. It needs to be, uh, it needs to go beyond just putting up the wall, which isn't a terrible idea. I think it's a great idea. Um, so, I mean, do you think it's, it starts with a wall maybe? I think, I mean, all, what are the measures of security, right? It's like one of the actual physical stopping or slowing down the flow is, is a very important, um, is a very important part of it. So, Yes, I think that, that that'll slow things down. And in the case where they're smuggling children, at least they might question who who's the individual with the child and if they have the proper paperwork to prove that it's the, the, the person's child. If not, um, separating them is not a bad idea. I know everybody's complaining about separating kids from their families, but you need to be able to prove that they're your kids, you know? Otherwise, we're just funneling more kids into the sex trade. Yeah, that's a good point. So, George, you got anything on that? Like, what's the... What's what's the start point of some of the fixes based on your experience? You know, I wouldn't even go to like policy stuff because that usually doesn't work. But like physical physical security, obviously, yeah, uh, it's, it, that's a it, that's a basic, it's the basic fundamental. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a start it point. Yeah, it's the start point. Man. You put a you know physical barrier in there; it's going to slow the process down a little bit, so you can recover a little bit and then get some more agents in there, which probably is not going to happen. Um, but I'd say physical security is better, and then processing uh the you know the kids and the you know the the people that are actually trying to cross the border to make a better life i get it because everybody wants to make a better life uh but we have to take care of the kids first take care of the people who are just trying to make a better life and then prosecute the ones that are doing some uh nefarious things i mean it's just i like that i don't, I don't know That's i like that I look at it so so here's here's his uh his four things uh, and this is uh, his conclusion. It's uh, with the asymmetric threat comes the need for an asymmetric approach. So based on proper analysis, we need to replace the cartels and the left's narrative. Uh, we need to distribute the information and influence campaigns in the media platforms with the greatest reach to our target audience. And I, I think that's, you know, this is part of that. 
crowdsource from influencers and fluence informed through words, deeds, images across multiple, multiple media platforms to the individuals, groups, and populations for whom the current cartel narrative resonates. Break the enemy's will and delegitimize and destroy the emotional and intellectual pill of the cartel and corruption ideology. And finally, gather and collect the data to assess the effectiveness of the narratives, theirs and ours, and refine the content and employment of our narratives based on an assessment. So I like, he almost has a psychological campaign. I mean, it's a... Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's it's very uh, um, data-driven, um, and, and it's very influential in the way that you're affecting the population, and, and that's the start point. I, I think that a lot of that, besides the physical, I mean, the physical barriers and, and the, the wall and everything else... That is a must. That is like that's mm-hmm. SOP. That's like the standard operating procedure. Mm-hmm. But on when you look at a comprehensive plan, you have to win uh, the war of ideology. You have to win the I mean, war. And it's kind of like a, like a UW campaign if you think about it, like completely because the first step is um, um, psychological operations. You know, so you, that's it? where you start. Yeah, I should know that. I'm okay, it's like right? one of them. Like it's like the first one. I, I don't it's know in order. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things you, you had me do. convinced at one at one when you said it's so no, like. Psychological, psychological operations is a big part of the um, of a UW campaign. Um, if you don't have that, then you're not going to be able to, um, you know, get the people that you want on your side, and then get the information you need and collecting the data and recruiting and and getting stuff out there. So if you have a good informational campaign, you're going to be able to recruit. You're able to get the right information out there, and hopefully get to the right people. Hopefully they listen, and then they hopefully they start, you know, changing their behavior. So that's what basically it is. is they want you want to change their behavior, and that's probably one of the great ways to start is change that narrative up i like that man and you know i, I want to say thank you to that uh, border patrol agent who you know it's not you can't say it's biased you can't say you could you could have your opinion on it all you want but the bottom line is that's that's from somebody who's on the ground and um you know coming from our backgrounds my background as a sergeant major i don't second guess the guys on the ground um i understand that the whatever they have to say is is valuable and then you know you you take that and and apply it how you how you want, um, but I'm not going to delegitimize somebody who's on the ground who has the ground truth as opposed to uh, you know the thirty thousand uh, foot perspective. Um, who border patrol man? It's exhausting, dude, because mm-hmm. it's so it's so yeah, shitty. Hard. It's just so much stuff. It's just it's so much like, shit. Yeah, I don't know. It's mind blowing. It's like how are you going to control that, man? It's just like a, Fuck it, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so metaphysical. It's like hard to wrap. Your, it's like uh, quantum physics, right? It's so hard to wrap your brain around because it's so complex of a problem, and it's so deeply rooted uh, in the in the problem. Uh, yeah, and on the American side, it's like I don't think we're tracking or we we mention how much um, fault Americans are in this, and uh, and I say that to say this that our our ability to consume, oh, digest and consume, dude, is what's causing a lot of this, right? Supply and demand. If there was no demand, yeah. you know, if there was no demand for perverted fucking people wanting children in these like weird, dark, dingy places and, and having fun with them, what, what's considered fun to them, and then a little bit of drug here, a little bit of this there, like that, we're driving that fucking that that demand. So I mean, we have to look internally and look. Look to the the shit that's happening here, you know, as far as education goes, and dudes thinking it's okay to get away with this or that, and then just, you know, willing to pay that price to to have that. Like, dude, you're you're, you're creating an instability for the rest of the people to fulfill a couple of your fucking desires, man. Like, yeah, you know, we've created an ecosystem. Right? Yeah, we've done that. Mm-hmm. So we've lost a sense of community, and everybody's all about themselves, and it's 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 starting to show. So, you know, we, we were just talking about. Um, uh, the other day about this uh, female hiker um, who got lost in Maui. I, I wanted to laugh out loud. Like I wanted to talk about it and then laugh because I thought it was funny. And um, uh, and I kind of wanted to make fun of her on social media. But I, I restrained. I didn't do it uh, because I thought it was so funny how um, a lot of people were like looking up to her like a hero. You know, you get lost for 17 days on a hiking trail yeah. in a Hawaiian forest. It's Hawaii. You could like walk the span of Hawaii in, in less than a, a couple days. Um, and for 17 days, the she said, I wanted to go back the way I'd come, but my gut was leading me another way. And I have a very strong gut instinct, she said. Yeah. So I said, my car is this way, and I'm just going to keep going until I reach it. 
Amanda Eller's gut was wrong. Um, yeah. The like, car was the other way. <laughs> so close. So you had a 50-50 chance. It was that way or the other way, and your gut led you the other I, way. I never trust my gut during land nav. Like, land nav is a skill. You have to yeah. practice it. You have to study maps. and Yeah. And that's the point, it, right? It's not emotionally based. It's no, not right. about instinct at that point. Yeah, it's data. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I just don't. I For me, with directions and, and, and moving You're around, very good I, I love it. You know, I just, it's just something I, I can remember, a, like a, a landmark or remember a point or remember a location. And then when I hear people getting lost, I mean, I get it. Things happen, but come on like how it's a three mile hike 17 days 17 days you were <laughs> just lost. pick a direction and walk until you run exactly. into the ocean like, and then when you run in the ocean find a hotel and like, you know it's it's yeah did you get bit by a spider like what was going on like what well she said she started freaking out and when she started panicking which you know we talk about this yeah. in survival it's it's a part of the reaction of that fight or flight mode and just a low grade sense of it where you get lost you lose your way you start to panic, you freak out, and then you make bad, bad decisions. Did she was she was she trekking the whole time, or uh, did she just freak out and kind of just sit in one place for a little while? No, she was tre- well. She was trekking for an extended period of time, and then she hit a. This is what's interesting. So she found a river, mm-hmm. right? Which rivers in Hawaii lead to the ocean. Yeah, they only and flow one way. They only flow one way. <laughs> so it's like find the river and walk downstream. Or walk upstream. Yeah, pick a direction. Pick your direction and just follow the river. <laughs> but she, this is this is what's crazy is by day seventeen, she was eating strawberries and like sustaining life in this river, and she was in the river in the opening of a canop of canopy and looked up and a rescue helicopter was above her and she's like, oh, this is a miracle. No, it's not a miracle. Like right. it's just part of the technicality of you ended up being in that spot. But it's like. It's like that whole naked and afraid thing, where it's like you've been long, you've been gone for seventeen days, so you 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 stop looking for um, a way out, and you just kind of settle there. Like, what are you doing? Hey, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like she just wanted to start a life there. You know? you know who was doing the right thing? The the rescue helicopter was like riding that river, yep. hoping oh, that yeah. somebody was either going to be going down it or up it. And uh, she had stabilized herself there, and she made her little fort, I'm sure. <laughs> Dude, so bizarre, man. Uh, I, yeah. It's just a weird story to it me. Is, it's, I yeah. don't... Three-hour hike. What were you doing? Days. Like, I don't... Uh, like, if you don't hike with somebody, don't go to somewhere by yourself with no cell phone, no signal device. I mean, this is why, you know, if you visit uh, com, we do sell our survival kits. And we do. They'll get you there. Yeah, well, it's, it's a minimalist kit, too, but the, the number one thing we recommend is... Look, if you're going on a hike and you're not familiar with the terrain and there's a chance of you getting lost, which, you know, a lot of places in the United States and especially National Forest, there is that possibility. Carry a, a, a satchel, carry a backpack, a camelback, a merce, whatever. You know, we just highlighted this fish pond uh, fly fishing bag. Carry one of those. Put water in it, put chow, put a minimal survival kit, a fire starter, just the basics. That's it. That's it. How about I mean, or put a map and compass? Yeah. You don't even need a Lenzetta compass. Just do cardinal direction. And mm-hmm. you say, hey, let me look at my map. Let me look at my compass. I'm walking north. And so if you get lost, you know, hey, I'm going to walk south. And even if you're off hundreds of meters, if you walk the general direction back where you came from, you might be able to identify uh, where you Imagine started. Imagine if you had a cell phone, you just drop a pin to where you parked, and then you just look it up when you're lost. And you just go that way. I don't know if that if that would work or not, but I, I don't know. Take yeah. take me back. How did she get lost? Well, she was on a trail, and then she lost the trail in the national park. How and do you lose a trail? I don't know. I don't Those know. are very like visible and yeah, very heavy traffic. Well, she's famous for it now. Good good job. Way to be famous. Yeah. And you know we're criticizing her because um, it's silly. I mean, if you if you're getting lost, there's so many preventive me- preventative measures prior. To you getting lost that, you know, it's like a 10-step failed process where you, you ignored a whole bunch of things that you should have been doing. And that's what we talk about. You know, we, we've isolated these podcasts in depth. Yep. Um, also, I posted this morning about the uh, tornado situation. So epic tornadoes. Crazy. 500 tornadoes in 30 days. 500. It's a record-breaking uh, series of tornadoes. Um, the, the coolest thing that I saw, I'm sorry to say it's cool. I'm just into nature. I'm a nerd like that. But, uh, here's the little story I found. Um, and this was this morning. 
uh, on the most deadly tornado that touched down in the United States um, March 18th, 1925. It was considered an F5, even though they weren't scaled um, back then. It holds the record for the longest path at 219 miles. This tornado, an F5, touched down and 219 miles later stopped. It's the longest duration, three and a half hours this tornado was on the ground. Three and a half hours. That's like the Titanic, the movie. That's like uh, The Revenant, which is a great movie. But three and a half hours of that. The fastest forward speed for a tornado at 73 miles an hour. This thing was like a freight train on a highway driving for three and a half hours um, for, for, for 219 miles for three and a half hours. Um, and it's the most, for, and it had the highest speed for a uh, tornado at 73 miles an hour anywhere on earth. In addition, it is the single deadliest tornado in the United States at 695 <laughs> people killed. And you imagine... Can you imagine if that kind of tornado touched down now with a population that exists in the United States, how many people would be killed? You can't prepare for an F5 running your ass over. There is no preparation. Not seeking cover, shelter, it will rip everything apart. Um, So, you know, we did put some measures, and I just want to highlight this because we obviously were in the business of uh, preparing people because preparedness is freedom. Um, I changed the the logo to knowing is half the battle. Oh, I like that. You like that? You sound familiar? Yeah, it was old school. Um, uh, but it, here's here's what you have to remember. Um, in a house with no basement, a dorm, or an apartment, avoid windows, obviously. Go to the lower, lowest floor, small center room like a bathroom or closet. A hallway is good as well. Under a stairwell or in an interior hallway, no windows. Crouch as low as possible to the floor, facing down, and cover your head with your hands. You know, this reminds me of. You ever do a common core training in the army? Yeah. And they teach you how to react to a nuclear bomb. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and they tell you cover your groin, turn around, and lay on the ground. Yep. <laughs> Face <laughs> down. It's like what? Up. <laughs> you want my butt up in the air? Uh, my butthole exposed to the, the radiation, <laughs> and you want me to cover my balls because my hands are going to help that. Yeah, exactly. And then you want me to lay down and face away from the explosion. Don't make eye contact with the explosion, by the way. Mm. Yeah, never make eye contact with the blast. I know, because you could probably, because if you see it, you're going to see a little drop, you're going to see the little bomb fall, and you're like, hey, this is a nuclear bomb, let's turn away. We don't want to watch this flash. Yeah, no, I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's difficult to prepare for this kind of stuff, man. What yeah. was the other topic we were talking about? You, you, you had written uh, it down. Everest. Oh, yeah, Mount Everest. Oh, man, let me pull Good this Good night. Oh. Let me adjust my microphone for this one. This So if you don't know, and I'll pull up the average cost because uh, there's record-breaking Everest, Mount Everest deaths that are happening. It's up to 11 right now. Um, but the 2019 season on Mount Everest is coming to a close and, and going down as one of the deadliest seasons on record. 11 people died on the world t- world's tallest mountain this year, most within the past week or so. People die each year on Everest from fall storms, avalanche, lack of, lack of oxygen, freezing, underlying health issues, etc. But this year stood out because so many of the deaths happened while a climber was on the descent from the summit on clear weather days. The major contributing factor this year, the narrow weather window they had. And mid to late uh, May is ideal for the climb to Everest when a jet stream that sits over the mountains blasting winds up to 200 miles an hour on the summit. So you're on the summit. You're like, I just accomplished this. And and now what? And then you get blasted off the side of it. Okay, so you climb Mount Everest. I get it. It's, you know, it's Mount Everest, whatever. I just don't find the appeal to, like, you can be cold. you You can't breathe. You're cold. You're following a trail of like a hundred other people. You're all linked together. What's the adventure in that? Like, what is the appeal that people find? Is it just say, "Oh, I got to Mount Everest"? I, mean, I just don't. I don't get it. I don't find climbing a mountain a thing that I want to do in my life. Well, well it's also kind of a scam, right? Because you have the what the Tibetans, or, yeah, that uh, live there, Nepal. It's in Nepal, right? Yeah, it's the yeah. Nepalese. Uh, yeah. I, what are they called? They're the Sherpas. Yeah. 
and the Sherpas are carrying all your shit, and they're setting the route. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like going on a Disney. It's like going on like a Disney ride. Yeah. It's a, the gentleman's course. It's like it is. I'm 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 rich, so here's my money. Let's go to Mount Everest. Let me take a picture, and I can tell all my friends back home what I did. Like, so so the average it. so the average cost to climb Mount Everest, by the way, is forty five thousand dollars and above. <laughs> Uh, this cost includes a royalty fee of eleven thousand dollars for the peak, so you get you have to pay eleven G's if you hit the peak. I, I think I would be if I saw the peak, and I'm like up there. I'm like this is I'm good. I'm good. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> eleven G's. I'm, let's go back down. I mean, I've seen pictures. It's it's cold. It's windy. It's like I, it's I, not I'm, even pretty. I'm enjoying that. I'm not enjoying. No, <laughs> fuck. I got forty five thousand dollars. I can do so much with that and have so much fun at like a beach or an island. Where it's nice. A like you're a Philcraft or climbing Mount Everest. What do you want to do? Yeah, I'd rather mm-hmm. be at the Philcraft. Yeah. It's I don't drinking. want to. I don't have. Uh, you couldn't pay me to do that. Mm-mm. I wouldn't do it. No. I want to hang out here and drink Kill Cliff. Yeah. Um, I'm so wasted on Kill Cliff right now. <laughs> As previously addressed, it is almost impossible to climb Everest completely alone on the standard route. However, you can climb independent with no oxygen. But you basically ain't climbing. Like, it's like a monopoly. They own the yeah, monopoly. Like, yep. I need oxygen to do this? No, I'm good, man. Like, yeah, I know, man. I don't it's get not it. It's not smart. for me. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of Koreans that go there. Mm. If you're a Korean and you're hearing me, do not go yeah, to Mount Everest. Don't risk guy To climb a guided trip up a mountain yeah. and pay forty five thousand. I'm going to pay you forty five grand. I got an idea. I'm going to pay you forty five grand. You're going to guide me, and then I'm going to die. That's yeah, not worth thanks. it. Like right. the, you don't get a return on investment. It on doesn't that. look fun. You doesn't can't even pull out your fun. phone because phones don't even work at that height because yeah. they're, they're cold. So right. how you, you can't even. It, yeah, that's uh, not. Let's not do that. Not cool. Um, what else is going on? Uh, oh, we had a really good, uh, good weekend this last weekend. Oh yeah, tell me about the weekend. So we had uh, we had a combatives course on Saturday, mm-hmm. and uh, it's tough. Apparently, the feedback was that. You should be willing to endure the fitness side of it all. That's good. So, it is very. I, I love it. Yeah, it it is taxing on the body, but yeah. it's really good for you, and uh, it, it shows you how capable you are mm-hmm. at using your body once you understand the principles, yeah. right? Because our program is based in principles and not techniques. So, uh, and then I think it gives you like you know if you're out in public or in a situation. I don't know. I always do this sometimes if I'm out in public and I'm like, okay, if something goes down, I'm going to do this. Like you do a rehearsal in your head. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you take our course, it kind of gives you that, okay, if something goes down, I can do this now. I'm more confident in my technique. I'm more confident in my abilities to, yeah. to protect, to protect myself, my family and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I get it. it, it people are like, well, I'm not trying, I'm not looking for a fight, but you never know Yeah, that you may not be looking for a fight, but guess what? The dude around the corner might be. So it's all about preparedness, man. Just yeah, be that, prepared. That that field craft uh, threat resolution uh, tactics and training. Oh you know, yeah, that, that field craft TRT. Okay, that sounds sexy. Uh, What's t- TRT stand for? Threat resolution tactics. I like that TRT. Yeah. TRT. <laughs> um, uh, what else is going on? So uh, I just set two dates today: uh, August eighteen. Um, for a one-day TCCC tactical combat casualty care. You guys have asked on the mobility side as well as the Philcraft Survival side, philcraftsurvival.com or philcraftmobility.com, the clean and dirty side we call it. Uh, but you guys have asked for that training, tactical combat casualty care um, training for a one-day. It's basically a stop-the-bleed course, and it's a certified uh, course, uh, August 18 and August 19. Two separate course dates for anybody who's coming, and it's a limited class run so if you're interested go ahead and sign up now because it's on philcraftsurvival.com and they won't last long uh the medical stuff never does it doesn't last long but kevin falk from devil dog consulting a buddy of ours who's been uh, heavily involved in uh, C and philcraft since the beginning will be uh, coming out here to teach that course i will be there as well you know quick shout out and thanks to the the guys who are at the pistol course we we put them through the ringer and they uh oh, that was a good course that was fun <laughs> that was fun yeah, so, yeah, good job, guys. What do you got, George? Closing remarks? Uh, no, not really. I just, you know, hope everybody had a good Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I had a great one. Uh, just relaxed and just reflected back on my little career I had. 
Oh, you and, know we're doing that for the masses next podcast. It's war stories. Okay, good. I liked it. It, yeah. it brought back a lot of memories and it just good memories and bad memories, whatever. You know, I think we all need that just to reflect and uh, learn from that. And then uh, I have nothing else. I'm going to do some training here in a little bit with, with the wife and the kids. Got the kids some boxing gloves, like kid gloves. That's oh, really? And they're pumped, man. I can't wait. They love, I don't know. They just, Dude, the just amount of it. energy they have and they get out of them on the mats. It's oh, like yeah. mats is a... It's like the best babysitter you could ever mm. Oh, yeah. You just put them on a mat, and they'll yep. run around in circles until they fall over. Then they'll pass out. Go to I sleep. think we should set up like a little mini Nerf gun uh, little scenario out here and just have the kids just go. Yeah. Put them in a cage. Yeah. And then and then put like it's a safari. Yeah, yeah. And you get a Nerf gun, <laughs> and then you, you get pay to show up, and you get a certain amount of darts, yep. and you get to take kids <laughs> out. Oh, that would be fun. Lola would like that. Yeah. She would like that. All right, guys, that's all we got for the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate our sponsors. We appreciate you guys. Uh, we also do have, um, if you if you like to uh, commit to the content and we're providing you some kind of value, um, which nobody has given us anything, so that just shows what you guys are doing. That's, that's fine. Thank saying. you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but we do have a, a, a Venmo set up at Phil Craft that we use to buy uh, better equipment whenever we can and also upgrading the uh Philcraft Studio, which is basically a room with a couple of chairs. And uh, <laughs> if you're interested in supporting the cause, uh, Venmo us, whatever, whatever helps, man. It's at Philcraft at Venmo. Uh, we appreciate everything you guys do for us. Uh, if you guys listen to this podcast, make sure you use Mike to save 10%. M-I-K-E, Mike to save 10%. That's all we have. On the also, <laughs> we have uh, George 10. And this, listen, like for the- George 10 will add 10% to your- uh, just think about this, everybody, all the listeners out there. I love everyone. I appreciate all the downloads and the plays. It's it's great. But just take a dollar out of your pocket and just put it in the Venmo. $10. That's it. Just one dollar. That's all I'm asking you. If we can do that, we'll be a better podcast and a better America. Thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> if you just do $10 for people. Um, no, we appreciate all uh, all the support and everything you guys do for us. And uh, if without your guys' support and listening support, then uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So thank you so much. Uh, from uh, Raul, George, and myself, uh, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Stay alert. Stay, Stay alive. alive.